Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that luxuriates in the realm of cars and transport. Overdrive is currently on a study tour, but we have recorded some new interviews and segments for when we are away. In this edition, we report on the release of some new Lexuses, we road test the Mazda CX-3, and we include an extended session of quirky news, including videos using embarrassing situations to help drivers visualise the safe distance they need when passing a bicycle. You're listening to Overdrive. Lexus have just released the fourth generation of their RX line, a medium-sized luxury SUV, up against the likes of the Audi Q7, BMW X5 and Mercedes GLE, to name a few. There are three different engines spread across a total of seven variants, with pricing ranging from 73000 plus on roads for the two-wheel drive 2-litre turbo RX200 up to 106000 plus on roads for the RX450H Sports Luxury with its 3.5-litre V6 hybrid drivetrain. The new range is bigger, lower, roomier, more powerful and efficient, better equipped but more expensive than the last. Brent Davison and I were at the Lexus RX launch in Sydney, and Brent joins me on the line to talk about the experience. Brent, what was your first impression of the styling direction that the RX has taken? Errol, I thought the styling was best described as bold. Look, I'm, I'm a, a fan of the of the styling from the uh, from the windscreen back. Um, the nose, <laughs> I have to say, leaves me a little cold. It's it's. I, I, I can see where they're trying to go with this, but they're just exaggerating it a weeny bit too much, I think. Mm, yeah, I, I felt like a whale was trying to eat me when it was coming towards me. <laughs> Look, I, I love the fact that they've stuck every Lexus, in, in, everyone in this, in this range on 20-inch wheels. Um, it really accentuates those, those very uh, strong lines. But um, the, the nose, to, to get their famous, or now becoming famous, spindle grill, they, they've made the nose much, much longer than they really need to. So it, it almost unbalances the front of the car. Mm. Yeah, I have, to, I have to agree. Though. I think they, uh, they even admitted that they, they think the black one will be the most popular because it at least softens the, the grill. Yeah. <laughs> but, That's uh, when you have to say that. But yes. Look, it, it, it doesn't look... You know, I, I, I kind of am one of these guys who like to give people the, the benefit of the doubt and say, you're not going to see it while you're inside it. Absolutely. Is that yeah. a cop-out? Uh, maybe. But uh, Tanaka-san, <laughs> the Lexus engineer they, uh, they brought out to the launch, said that customers welcome dramatic changes. So um, I, I, I hope he's right. <laughs> do you think I, it'll, I hope so. I do, hope so. Do you think it'll alienate the more conservative buyers? Yeah, I do. But, but Errol, I have to say that I, I think for a long time now, Lexus hasn't really been after the more conservative buyers. I think mm. they've deliberately gone for people who feel that they're a little bit out there, that they want something a bit edgy. I mean, yeah. this started with the CT200, their, their Corolla-sized small car. Um, you could see it in the new NX. Uh, you now see it in this, and it's it's appearing too in in, in some of their other models. The, the, the big car, the LS, is still um, fairly conservative, but, mm. but down, down the food chain, um, yeah, I think they're, they're looking for for the, the uh, do I dare say the hipster buyer? Yeah, is that yeah. wrong? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it is. I, I, but I you, think... know, you know, they're, they're looking for a younger, edgier buyer in, yeah. the, in this market. What, what about yeah. the, in, the interior trims? I, I love the cream leather seats. I, I, I really like that. I, I don't know how they'll cope with 
young kids or dogs, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, let's, let's be honest here. The person who buys the, uh, th- this car will probably have a couple of the, the former and one of the latter, you know, it's uh, mm. <laughs> the other way around maybe, but, but yeah, look... I, I, the, the interior overall, I'm, I'm quite happy with. I, I love the um, fairly dramatic dash styling. You know, it's, it's double layered. It's got that huge screen. Should you choose to have the model with the huge screen, mm. or spend the money on the option pack that will give you the huge screen? Um, yeah, it's all very dramatic. It's the, the, the dash curves. It flows around into the doors. It spills over into the seats. You know, it's it, it's quite an experience, really. I mean, for mm. those of us like myself who hate. The, the standardised dashboard layout, this does it very nicely. Yeah, I, I love the uh, large, it's like a sort of an ultra widescreen, you know, cinema scope uh, type yep. display. And it really, just, just using that with uh, just the sat nav was, it's just amazing just what that bit of extra width in the display gives you in absolutely, terms of us- usability. What about the performance? They, they've updated the engines, they're all more powerful, but they're pushing around a bigger car too. Yeah, they, they are. I mean, performance hasn't come forward in leaps and bounds. Um, I, I like the, the the numbers, the power and torque numbers out of the um, out of the hybrid. Um, and mm. I think if you were being uh, the kind of person who wanted to chase those, those sort of numbers, that that would be the car you would pick. Um, you know, it's it's maximum torque three thirty five newton meters. You know. It, it, Combined power to 30 kilowatts. They're good numbers in a car. All right, it weighs close to two tons, but but with that um, uh, CVT, sorry, the, the very continuously variable automatic transmission, it, it rolls along quite nicely. I mean, the, the drive down through the national park to Bundina um, it wasn't too taxing on the car, but it did show that uh, yeah, the, the transmission and the engine really worked well to move that car along nicely. Another thing that I really liked, and I commented to the the guy who was who was uh, in my passenger seat. It didn't feel like an uh, an SUV from behind the wheel. It felt mm. like a mid-sized sedan. Yeah, it's got a, it's a very car-like ride now, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. They, they, and, and 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 the big tires don't mean big noise either. They've, no. they've been very clever with that. Oh, Brent, uh, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. <laughs> Errol, it's always my pleasure, I have to say. <laughs> no worries. That was Brent Davison talking with Overdrive about the new Lexus RX Series luxury SUV. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. The small SUV market is booming in Australia. Many of the big players have cars in this category. The obvious and major exception is Toyota. They do have a concept car, the CHR, that is touted to be in Australia by the end of 2016, maybe. It looks striking and different. To a lesser extent, Kia also doesn't have a vehicle in this market. Now, the big luxury brands, Audi, Mercedes, Lexus, BMW, even Mini, all have products in this small SUV class. But the market has been waiting for the Mazda MX-3. It was released in March this year. Prices start at $20,000 and go up to nearly $38,000 plus on roads. Allowing for the fact that it has not been on sale for the entire year, it is still coming in second behind the Hyundai iX35, which of course is being replaced by their Tucson, which is in the next size category up. So the Mazda looks like it could aspire to being the, the number one spot. 
Does it deserve to be there? Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury and I have been driving the car. He is on the line now. Brent, this doesn't look like a boxy XUV, does it? No, it doesn't. It looks like somebody sort of um, left the uh, the little SUV and the hatchback in the garage together overnight and, you know, yep. It is the product. It, it is. Look, it's, it's, it's a nice thing. It's got a, it's got a, a deliciously long nose and a, a, a short sort of glass house, but... Ah, uh, there's a little bit of hatchback, a little bit of station wagon there. It, it all just works. It all just fits very nicely, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Ma- Mazda hasn't gone to too much trouble, and, that, and that's nice. So usually the, the Japanese designers get a little bit busy. Um, not too many busy elements about this car. It, it comes off nicely, as the, the sales figures um, will demonstrate. I mean... God, where I live, you can not just about trip over Mazda CX-3s in the, in the Woolies car park on a Saturday morning. Mm. Yeah, I'm, you know, as I say, they've uh, they come in second, or well, they're coming second so far this year, uh, even, you know, uh, doing an adjustment for the fact that they haven't been on sale all that time. Um, but in a very competitive market, they've certainly shot up bullet performance to it. Gee, I tell you what, there's a lot of models. There's about 40, 14 variants available from the launch. Yeah, look, we, we start off with a with a two-litre petrol in two-wheel drive. That's front-wheel drive. Uh, and then we go to a, two, a four-wheel drive, two-litre petrol. And then we have a 1.5-litre diesel in in two-wheel drive and all-wheel drive so yes you can you can pick and choose i mean there if you can't find a model that suits you you're a very hard person to satisfy there's some suggestion of course that they might start with a lot and then just see which are going to be bought of course you can get them in four different levels not with every variation of engine and four-wheel drive but neo max and uh, the s touring and the akari Max. so it's um it's expected, of course, that sorry, just the Akari. The Max is expected to underpin um, the possible most sales, maybe about fifty-five percent of the total. Yeah, the the, the Max petrol with front-wheel drive is is pretty much your volume. Um, mm. When you get up around the um, Akari uh, four-wheel mm. drive, uh, probably with a diesel engine, you're looking at at very low numbers, but they're, they're, the volume is there. Uh, I don't think Mazda's doing the let's see what sells and then take the rest away. Um, that's okay. not generally Mazda's style. Uh, I, I think, you know, because they, they can sell maybe, you know, 1,000 here or 2,000 of that kind and, you know, 1,500 of another kind, uh, they will keep the car there f- for, for the numbers. The, the, the numbers mm-hmm. are good enough, put it that way. Of course, if you have a range in there, people then don't tend to buy the bottom one. They tend to buy at least the one up from that. You know the old saying, if you offer two beers for sale, people will buy the cheap one. But if you offer three beers, add a luxury one on top, most people will buy the middle one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Hmm. I tell you what, gee, it starts cheap. I mean, for for, for this category of car, $20,000... That's one of the cheapest in in the category. Oh yeah, yeah, twenty grand plus on road cost. That that's a, a a very nicely priced SUV. I mean, you know, we're looking at, at a category where um, upwards of fifty thousand dollars isn't um, isn't impossible. Impossible. Uh, and and even the the cheapest Ford EcoSport, uh, you're looking at twenty one thousand dollars, and it's a, it's a, a smaller car. You know, with a smaller engine, so so the so the Mazda is offering quality, size, and and 
and all, all around uh, nicer uh, engine transmission package in in size terms, not you know build quality. They, 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 Ford, please keep your legal suits away. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I'm saying here is yes, you're right. The the, the Mazda is offering the all around good deal. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty good inside. Quite good. A little cramp for the rear seat passengers, especially if you take all the adjustment for the front seats. But you are talking about a small car. An armrest is optional. Without it, I felt a bit naked. Uh, but the di- dials are simple. They're pretty well out of the Mazda too, aren't they? They are. Look, it, it is. It is essentially a. a, a blend between Mazda 2 and Mazda 3 interior. Um, I do like the, the, the tablet-style screen in the, in the middle of the dash for the, um, for the upper-grade models. In fact, the, the entry-level car looks just a little bit bare without it. It just has a uh, you know, white lettering on, on black screen, and it's quite small. And You, know, you, you, you feel a little bit like a pawpaw when you drive that car. <laughs> the, the big, colourful tablet-style screen is much nicer and, and way better to show off to your friends. But, but it doesn't alter the fact that you're still getting the, the, the same level of quality underneath. Brent, that is a, a lovely summation. Thank you very much for your time. David, it's always my pleasure, and I'm glad your voice is held on. Yeah, it is a bit of a struggle, <laughs> and we'll see how we go. Um, that was Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury, and we were talking about the Mazda CX-3, a small SUV in a very competitive part of the market. Uh, but one that nonetheless is uh, seen as being very good and is performing very well as well. This is Overdrive across Australia. And here we are again at the end of the program. The last section is some quirky news. Joining me on the line is Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. Hey, David. And Brian Smith. Go, Brian. G'day, David. Brian, you have a story. Well, certainly. Um, how do you help drivers understand and uh, visualise safe passing distances? Well, um, uh, you know, several states in Australia have uh, introduced mandatory safe passing distances for cars to overtake cyclists, uh, and it's usually around one and a half metre gap. And some people find it difficult to understand what a one and a half metre gap is. Well. The Tasmanian government, to help, has created an amusing video showing everyday situations where people get too close to other people, um, and that includes, uh, you know, sleeping on somebody's shoulder um, and uh, invading their personal space uh, at a cash machine, things like that. So um, it's interesting, David. You um, that difficulty of explaining to people what the distance, the appropriate. Um, safe stopping or safe distance, uh, passing distances are, um, how do we do it? How do we show people, first of all, to to understand what is too close? So uh, empathy comes in here. It's very difficult to understand uh, it from the perspective of, say, the car, uh, the bicyclists, uh, who has a massive vehicle passing close to them and and has some real fear from it, whereas uh, to the motorist safely inside their metal box, um, passing close to a bicycle is uh, hardly uh, of any concern. I I disagree, Brian, because (laughs) when I'm passing a cyclist, the last thing that I want to do is hit them. So I want to get as far away from them as I can. This might put you in a minority. Unfortunately, it's not necessarily that practical. But what, the, what the, is the, that? The bike lane is often distance, Errol. next to is often, you know, 
one centimetre from the, the lane that the car's in. But see, and to, say, and to, yeah. to, get, to move a, a metre and a half away from them, you've actually got to cross a double white line. But and of course, and that's this the is, point, isn't it? That you, yeah. you want to get as far away as possible and that's safe from them. So, you know, you mm. have a, a double yellow line and oncoming traffic on one side. You've got possibly parked cars and a cyclist on the other. And uh, it's judging when it's appropriate to pass and when to wait and what's yes. uh, what, how close is too close. Very difficult to do. Yeah, I, I didn't see waiting in this video. And, <laughs> and I actually thought some of the examples were a bit confusing. Like one of the ones is a passenger sitting next to you on the bus and sort of falling asleep on your shoulder. Well, even if they wake up, they're still not technically a <laughs> metre and a half from you or even half a metre. This is a, a, a positive for manspreading, perhaps. <laughs> yes, yes. Perhaps it's more along those. I, I did like the urinal one, though, because if a car gets too close to a cyclist at freeway speeds, at least one of you is going to wet yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But uh, and I wrote an article the other day on whether we need to use humour. I heard a webcast uh, 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 seminar the other day with a guy from America who was talking about communicating transport issues. And he said humour is one part of the arsenal. And I think this is a good example of it. You can stand there and lecture, whatever you do, make sure you leave an appropriate space. Or you can sort of try and, Brian, I think you used the word empathy, try and give people a feeling that to be cramped in unusual you know, situations is not comfortable. And this is a way to get around it. You know, it, it goes back to the story of Belgium who nominated for the UNESCO World Heritage status its traffic jams. <laughs> and, they, and they put a video together and said, look, this is uniquely uh, uh, you know, part of us. They're so bad and so on. Obviously, tongue-in-cheek, but maybe making a point. But they did make a point, David, and they raised awareness of the problem. This is uh, yes. all those good things. And now the other one is John Oliver who did a half-hour program on highway maintenance. Sounds thrilling. Well, you would think boring, but it is uh, it is an essential thing. It's it's a, a desperate need in the States, isn't it? Yeah, and, and he said, I know that it's boring. He said, can you imagine a Lego maintenance kit? <laughs> it says, it's been put together well, and if you just leave it there and nothing happens, everything's good. Yeah. And, 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 you know, his point, his point was rather funny, which reminds me of that meme that's going around. Um, we used to listen to our politicians and laugh at comedians. Now we laugh at our politicians and listen to com uh, the comedians. And um, it was a, a picture of John Oliver versus a picture of Donald Trump. And I think that's an important point. But, but it, is, it is hard to tell who's the comedian. Yeah. The, the point is, I, I don't want to try and turn every engineer into a Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, you know, the, the last thing I want is technical meetings where engineers and that, and I'm one of them, stand up there and try and tell dad jokes or things. I'm not trying to make humour there, but to actually do something that in a quirky way um, does it rather well. Now, I was talking about the ABC. The ABC has some great programs, and one of them is Media Watch, but one of them is also Gruen which does a review of the advertising industry, but does it with great humour. Our Media Watch gets a lot of criticism, and sometimes I think it's a bit supercilious, whereas Gruen is just really funny. It is, it is fronted by a stand-up comedian, unlike Media yeah. Watch. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not suggesting uh, Media Watch becomes you know, pure comedy, but uh, it's sometimes done as a lecture, to my mind, and uh, Gruen is done as comedy, and I think the comedy is more effective. Mm. 
Uh, now, Errol, you have a story. Seems these days, um, these days, David, you can be arrested for DUI on anything, um, and apparently that includes a wheelchair. This must have come to as news, though, to a Florida man, Ronnie Scott Hicks, who, after two DUI convictions in a car, probably thought his drunken ride in an electric wheelchair uh, was, you know, out of bounds of the law. But no. Uh, and he has wound up behind bars on a $5,000 US bond. Good. Because, you know, there was an increase in pedestrian accidents after drink driving was uh, more heavily policed. And random breath. This so is because there's more, drink more drunks walking, walking home. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm not saying it, it's we shouldn't have done that, um, but it, there were now pubs in, in inner city areas that began campaigns with posters and things saying, um, don't walk home drunk. And certainly don't drive, but, you know, be, be careful. You, just because you're not driving doesn't make you 100% yeah, so I'll, safe. Yes, take a designated walker with you. <laughs> <laughs> this is another reason to restrict the hotting up of mobility scooters, yes, of course. See. <laughs> I think we, we he was uh, not able to get anywhere, though. He was just sort of stuck blocking traffic. Maybe you just um, run out, run out of juice. To, yeah, yeah. trying to wheel a thing. <laughs> Uh, or, yeah, run out of juice, maybe just uh, stuck in the bar, spinning his wheels. Yeah. I wonder if, wonder if it's electric. Could he just put in, you know, some lemon juice and, you know, or an orange or something? That's right. Give me a potato and two nails. <laughs> I'll get home. <laughs> MacGyver now, style. there's a new report out about putting breathalysers on a wider range of vehicles. We know that uh, there have been on people who've been caught multiple times for DUI, but the suggestion from Ostroads or the consideration uh, might be to say, well, let's put them, as a matter of course, on P-plate drivers, commercial vehicles, uh, as a way, or in this case, maybe we need to put them on wheelchairs yeah, as well. Yeah, it's a slippery slope, push slippery slope David. Uh, it'll send it'll be on, on uh, bikes and... Uh... Bicycles, scooters, skateboards. Yeah, uh, I'm with you though, David. I think it's uh, surprising that these things are not mandatory. That they're not uh, a mandatory safety item like a seatbelt, like headlights, like you know, uh, crumple zones, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Airbags. You never know. Mm. Now another story. Um, we've seen Sultan, certainly the Sultan of Brunei, get all oh, very much as the man of the planet who buys a huge number of supercars. Now the Sultan of Johor um, is bought a super Mac truck, a super liner, in fact, and it's said to be the most expensive Mac truck ever built. It was on display in Brisbane. The price tag is a secret, but they say it smashes the previous record of $481,000. I guess this is just for the prime mover. I never realised this sort of Sultan, um, I'm better than you sort of stuff went as far as trucks. Why? Yeah. What, what's he want a truck for? Well, I, 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 I looked into this. It's to tow his 53-foot racing boat. <laughs> so 16 metres in the new language. But he's not um, going to drive this, is he? You won't see Apparently the... he is. Really? Really? He'll yes, have the blue yes. singlet on and hit the horn? <laughs> He'll be able to come up so... alongside him and do that international symbol for toot your horn. <laughs> I, I, don't know if he's, I don't know if he owns a, a blue singlet. This thing has a solid gold uh, tiger on the, um, uh, on the, on the front. 
literally <laughs> solid gold. In fact, they had, the dog. they had the guard. Yeah, so they've taken the dog away and they've put the you know the Malaysian um, symbol on there. Um, uh, yeah, so they reckon it's worth about a million dollars. It's it's it, this is so sort of shiny that even the chrome is chromed. You know. <laughs> What do you need in a super luxury truck? Everything, apparently, was, if you read what's in it. <laughs> I was thinking of servants' quarters. It's got an expanded sleeper cabin. Yeah, spa. Yeah, well, the, the sleeper cabin is so big that the, the bed part actually runs, like, along the length of the truck. Yeah, so across. rather than across it. <laughs> and on, it's basically like a camper van inside the... the yeah. That's what it reminds well, me of. We'll have to bring in, bring in B triples. Yes, yes. So, so that you know, the first container size compartment is to do with the for the the luxury of the truck mm. driver. But you're still going to have to stop at a rest stop because I didn't see a toilet in any of the specs. Okay. <laughs> no, no. See, the Sultan of Brunei always carries a lot of very expensive uh, bottles in the car, just like <laughs> other truckers do. Ones they call trucker bombs, you'll be able to tell which ones are his because they won't be sort of like a Red Bull container or something like that. They'll be, say, a, a crystal champagne bottle <laughs> left filled with royal urine on the side of the road. And, and he will have, undoubtedly, the quintessential best stereo system <laughs> of which to play Dolly Parton records. Mm, mm. Uh, my friend, he'll pull into the servo, he'll come out with the... the uh, um, 101 best hits. Yeah, the country truckers sort of stuff, the yeah. John Laws edition. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, with autonomous trucks, which will be the first vehicles that are getting autonomous control, which will work just down freeways, and, you know, maybe a writing table, a television exercise room, you know, so that he can avoid those uh, problems of trucking. Yes, uh, obesity and uh, back problems. That's a good point, David. Well, you won't be bored in this. It's it's got two different games consoles, and you know, a surround sound system, and uh, and all this other sort of entertainment. Oh, a billiard room. <laughs> <laughs> it does have a barbecue, and I'm not joking. It's got a barbecue on the on I've the outside that you you can pull out. I've seen his speedboat. I suspect it might have a billiard room attached to it. <laughs> Gentlemen, that's very good, and I do appreciate your time. Thank you once again. You're and that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>